What's in a name? Do you know what your name means? The ancients believed that a name wasn't just what you called someone. It was a blessing spoken over their life. It was stepping into the unknown and believing beyond what is to the farthest reaches of what could be. His name was Avram. Avram was 86 years old. He'd spent his life caring for animals, scratching a living from place to place. Every day he rose, thanking his Adonai for another sunrise, all the while groaning under the weight of a name that felt like it was written for someone else. Avram. Hebrew for exalted father. Yet Avram was childless and his wife infertile. The cruel irony was not lost on him, but he honored and worshiped his Adonai, his God, faithfully anyway. One clouded night, Avram sat in his tent. From a place beyond, he heard a voice calling him to believe. Buried in the words that shook the hillside was a promise that shook his heart. took Avram up to a hillside and told him something odd. He told him to start counting stars. Avram shook his head, knowing they were too numerous to comprehend. Suddenly, the clouds peeled back, revealing a sky teeming with sparkling promises. In one instant, a prophecy made by Avram's father at his birth was fulfilled. Not only would he be Avram, exalted father, he would be Abraham, exalted father of many multitudes. And above the shining multitude, one light began to blaze brighter than all the rest. One child, one descendant, one son, himself a name that spoke a prophecy. A promise fulfilled would someday rise. Said the night wind to the
What's the most meaningful gift you've ever received? And what gave it meaning? I imagine it was not because it was the most expensive or the most extravagant. It's because of who it came from and what the gift represented. For Abram, it was the gift of a son, a son that represented a host of sons and a multitude of promises written in the sky. A son that he believed for, hope against hope. For even after that night with the sky alight, it would be another 13 years before the promise held in his heart would come true. In the waiting, he discovered how to believe, how to fail, how to believe again, and how to laugh, both at his predicament and his promise fulfilled. For in an instant, all those prophecies written in the stars were brought to being. And so Abram gave his son the name Yitzhak, laughter, joy in the face of sorrow, the son, his greatest gift, for whom he'd waited a decade of decades, represented faith against the incomprehensible. The light lit in his heart by that star burned hot and fierce. One dark night, three stunned stargazers stared into the same shining multitude that her Avram had beheld thousands of years before. And just as it had on that cold night on the hill, the light of the foretold sun began to blaze again. Their names, their birth promises are lost to us. We know them only by their gifts and their choice to believe the unbelievable. Armed with only that, they set out from their country in the east in search of what that blazing light would reveal. And what do you bring to commemorate such an occasion? They brought things that would honor the person that they did not yet know. The Gospels named them something beyond mere gift, treasures. They were cherished beyond any other possessions. They were precious because of where they came from what they represented. These were worthy offerings to a deity. And so on a dark, cold, yet very holy night on a hillside, they entered a tiny house and presented their treasures to him.
far would you go for someone you loved? Would you give up what was most dear to you? Would you sacrifice something irreplaceable? Even more so, would you do it for someone you did not yet know? Would you be like our stargazer kings and set out with precious treasures, pursuing only a hope and a promise? One of these treasures was myrrh. Precious because it's difficult to obtain. You see, the myrrh tree does not yield easily. It must be pierced, allowed to bleed sap. It must be crushed, wounded over and over again, allowed to hang there battered and bruised. Then and only then can that precious ointment be collected. And once it was collected, the sons and daughters of Abram used it to relieve the pain of the dying and as a funeral ritual for the dead. It was this treasure that the nameless king chose as he set out to follow the light of hope. He arrived at the place where the baby was sleeping. The young child's parents had already given him a name that promised his purpose. Now a fellow king would present him with a gift that prophesied his destiny. Adonai, the one who wrote promises into the stars would give the world another son. This time, one who would rescue us, redeem us, take our place. As he hung on the cross, the sons of Abram, unaware of the promise they were in the presence of, offered him wine mixed with the king's gift, myrrh, the plant that bleeds to take our pain away. This is how far Adonai was willing to go for the people he loved. This is the greatest gift we have ever received. 30 years after that Bethlehem night, the sky light, the promise buried in our hearts would finally fully come true. The foretold sun would be pierced, allowed to bleed just like that precious myrrh gift he received. He would be crushed for our iniquities, wounded for our transgressions like a tender branch, allowed to hang there battered and bruised. It was a promise signified by a king's gift, spoken at the moment of birth by a father who uttered his name, a gift that foresaw a coming redemption, a name that gathered all the shining multitude of promises in its arms and fulfilled them in an instant. Emmanuel, the God who came to be with us. Jesus, the one who saves. Woo, come on church, who's excited? Wow. Go ahead and have a seat. Christmas is a breakthrough. Christmas is God with us. Christmas is incredible. Emmanuel, God with us, because he wants to be with you. Like the story we saw of Avram, which became Avrahim Abraham. Like the kings, the wise men who brought their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. This moment is meant to be a blessing and a gift to you. As we've tried to create this weekend more than a, more than a service, but an experience. We believe that you've been given a purpose by God. We also believe that you've been given a gift by God and that we believe for some of you, this is going to be the weekend that you are going to give God the greatest gift 
that you have ever given him, and that is your heart. You're going to get to unwrap the gift of Christmas, and that is why we have Christmas. Christmas is incredible. This one act impacted eternity so much more than we could ever grasp. Prophesied before the foundations of the world. Birth, crafted and created out of the heart of the most loving, grand, great God that there is. Hundreds of prophecies in the Older Testament foretold of the birth, the coming, the life, and the death of the Messiah. It is the event that split time, B.C., and AD. There's more love, more glory and wonder than we can imagine. And if we will allow individually, this event, this incarnation will impact us and we will absolutely never be the same. Now go back to the little home that there's Mary, Joseph, and the Christ, the toddler, the Messiah. The three magi are the magi. We don't know how many. They come and bring their three gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Myrrh, which was incredible. The fragrance was unmistakable. And as that fragrance filled their house, as that gift was laid at the baby's feet, I wonder if it made sense to Mary. Myrrh that had to be crushed. The myrrh tree that had to be pierced over and over, bleeding out the sap that that was once again crafted and created into this incredible balm that was made. This gift that without, without realizing represented actually what would happen to this baby, that he would be pierced, he would be bled, he would be crushed. I wonder if the Magi, as they laid the gift, did they realize, did they know the, prophet, the prophecies out of Isaiah, did they realize? See, none of us can comprehend the cost of our sin. It's just beyond measurable what we did and what God had to do for us. But the matchless grace and love of Jehovah, the creator God, 800 years before the invasion of God back to his planet, the advent, the great prophet Isaiah wrote of the Messiah and what his life and then his death would be like. Now, it's sort of crazy that the Jews who were waiting for the Messiah, waiting for this very first Christ must missed it, because even though the scripture was very clear, it wasn't a package with which the Jews wanted, and so they missed it. And some of you, if you're not careful, will miss the gift of Christmas this year because it didn't come packaged quite like you thought. So what does the the prophecy say? Who's believed our message? Who's believed what God said? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He, Jesus, grew up before him, God, like a tender shoot, like a root out of a parched ground. He had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, no appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs, my grief, all of your sorrows he carried, yet... We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through like the myrrh tree, pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sin, our iniquity, and the chastising of our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we were healed. Verse 6, 
All of us like sheep have gone astray. Wouldn't you agree with that? Haven't we all gone astray? I call it Burger King theology. We want it quick, we want it cheaper, we want it our way. We want it right now. Come on, are y'all with me? And so even though this Messiah is sent, why? Because all of us like sheep have gone astray, we've gone our own way. And he has, each has turned his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all, our sin, to be placed upon him. See, Christ came for you. Christmas was for you. Emmanuel, God, with us. He was willing to go all the way. Come on, somebody. He was willing to hold nothing back. Come on, give him some praise in the house this weekend. He's worthy. So just think about some of the words that Isaiah used. You can go verse 7 through the rest of the chapter and even beyond. He was despised. He was forsaken. He was sorrowful. He was grief-filled. He was stricken, smitten, afflicted, and pierced. He was crushed. He was chastised. And he was scourged. All because my sin, your sin, would fall upon him. Folks, this is the most excessive, lavish, lavish, scandalous grace that we can comprehend. Now, what, let me tell you what God could have said. As a matter of fact, let me tell you what I would have said if I was God. You need to be glad I'm not God. Because we're glad you're not either. Come on, somebody. God could have said, they don't deserve it. I'm not going through with that. Why? Because they're stubborn and stiff-necked and arrogant and they want to do what they want, not what I want. Isn't that right? Come on. I don't know about you, but I didn't deserve it. Family broke up when I was three, dad gone. Life messed up. Got high the first time when I was 10. Began to do drugs, pop acid. Ended up shooting drugs. Then had to sell drugs, get enough drugs to to satisfy my habit, busted, couldn't be trusted, jacked up, robbed. It was just a horrible life. At 22, overdose on drugs, end up in Memorial Hospital in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And there, the Spirit of God showed me a present. Showed me the grace. Come on. Showed me how good it could be. Now, I couldn't have found a verse of scripture in this Bible. I couldn't have told you anything, but I did remember that Jesus loved people, and I was a people, really a sheeple, but I was a people, and, and that he would forgive people that asked. That's, uh, that was the total Bible. That's all I knew, and so I just said, Lord, I'm so sorry. You can have my life, and he said, man, let me show you what I can do with it. And I'm telling him 40 years ago, hadn't gotten over it yet. It's incredible. Now, fast forward from this, this gift, 30, 31 years maybe-ish, to the cross. And Jesus has just experienced the most gruesome execution known to mankind, torturous death by scourging and crucifixion. Upon his death, a religious leader, his name was Nicodemus, he was a James Bond 007 secret agent Christian. He had never let anybody know that he would follow Christ. Matter of fact, his first meeting is at night under cloak, under cloak of darkness so nobody will see. Because had Nicodemus sided with the Savior, he would have been kicked out of the synagogue. He would have lost his salary. He would have lost his power. He would have lost his position. He would have been an outcast. And he wanted the things of the world, the trappings, the trimmings of this world more than he wanted Jesus. He sees Jesus crucified on a cross, and he goes with Joseph of Arimathea, 
Just an entrepreneur, a wealthy businessman, goes to Pilate and asks for the body, receives the body, and Nicodemus and, and Joseph go and anoint the body. Now remember, one of the gifts that was brought at the birth or right after the birth was myrrh, and now the death, the gift is given once again of myrrh. See, it is a rare, expensive fit only for the rich and the wealthy, and yet Joseph and Nicodemus brought this most precious ointment to, it was used in religious experiences, but it was also used to prepare bodies for burial. They laid the body of Jesus, they wash it, the blood, the cake blood, and they cover it with myrrh, and then they begin to wrap it up. Now, all of that is factual. Let me tell you what I believe happened, because the Bible is not a movie. It is it are vignettes. So God doesn't give us all the details, and God thinks that's funny, personally. We want the details. But ladies, let me ask you, where do you think Mary, the mother of Jesus, was while he was being anointed for burial? I'm going to tell you where I believe she was right there by his body. Moms, would y'all agree with that? He was, he was, she, he, she was right there. The Bible doesn't say that. We know she was at the cross. We know that John is commanded to take care of Jesus' mother, Mary, and I believe she was right there as they're anointing. Now, I, do you remember, do you, you ever notice how a smell can take you back 40 years? You get a whiff of something like, like going into Mamaw's house, she's got a pot of beans on it. It takes you right back. Going on for church on Sunday and there's a roast on or Papa's high karate that you smell that and it takes you right back to when you were a kid. Y'all know what I'm talking about? So, so the, these, these men, these wealthy men are, are, are ministering to the body of Christ and they break open the vial of myrrh, they begin to pour it. And I believe that Mary was transported back 33 years before, 32, when the wise men brought the gift for the birth and now the wealthy men have brought the gift for the death. Here's the deal. It was all for you. It was all for you. A ransom fit, not even, I mean, not even royalty. The price that was paid for you is far above. My question this Christmas is, have you ever unwrapped the most lavish gift ever given? We, we agreed we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, right? Scripture's clear, Romans 3.10, Romans 3.23, there's none righteous, not even one. So we get that. We've all sinned. We get it, which was misperfection. In Romans 5.8 said, but God demonstrated, God proved, God showed, he revealed his love for us. And while we were sinners, Christ died for us, crushed, chastised, afflicted, pierced through. Are y'all with me? <clears throat> like the myrrh. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, so loved you, that he gave, he sacrificed, he poured out his only son like myrrh, a gift for you, that whosoever believes in him and believe is not a mental ascent like we believe, but it is a commitment to an ideal. Those of you that believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So who's going to wrap this gift? I received it in the hospital, never being the same. God lavished upon you the greatest gift ever given. The question is, will you open it? Father God, there are some people across all of our campuses and listening online that have never opened, unfurled the red bow with the blood of Jesus, lifted the box, and received the gift of salvation. Pulled by Stanthador Knock. If anybody hears my voice and opens it, I'll come in and sup with them and they with me.
So God, your gift for us, Father God, would you open eyes and hearts that people would respond and much like me as that young adult, never be the same. Thank you for the gift, for the love and the grace that we did not deserve. In Jesus' name, we say thank you. And all God's people said,